Politico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. And now for your environmental headlines. When the 2021 legislative session began, more than 75 bills related to the environment had been filed in Indiana's General Assembly. But as the session passes its halfway point, more than two-thirds of those bills are now dead. Thirteen alone died in the House Environmental Affairs Committee, which did not hear any of the bills assigned to it. Many of those lost were issues that have been pushed by environmentalists for years. Some others could have had negative impacts on the environment. Those that remain range widely, from a bill to establish carbon credit programs to a piece of legislation that would eliminate protections for most of the state's wetlands. A number of energy-related bills are also still alive. Environmentalists and experts estimate as many as 200,000 septic systems in the state are failing, polluting water sources and potentially risking human health. Two bills, House Bill 1038 and Senate Bill 419, that would have tackled this issue in Indiana, died in the House and Senate Environmental Affairs Committees. Both would have required inspections of septic systems before selling a property, a simple step that environmental advocates say would help locate and mitigate those that are failing. Versions of these bills have been proposed in previous years as well, with no success. Five bills tackling pollutants from lead to toxic, quote, forever chemicals, end quote, fail to advance. Two bills addressing lead exposure in school, preschool, and child care facility buildings, and one addressing toxic PFAS chemicals in public water systems, died in the House Environmental Affairs Committee. Ever since the General Assembly passed a law phasing out a key financial incentive called net metering for homeowners installing a rooftop solar, bills have been filed that would reinstate it. Three bills this year again attempted to extend the deadline for this incentive, but all three failed. Electric vehicles and the stations to charge them are a bit of a chicken and egg issue. Customers don't want to buy electric vehicles without the infrastructure to charge them, but companies don't want to invest in that infrastructure without knowing there will be more drivers of electric vehicles. HB 1385 would have allowed utilities to create a pilot program to establish an infrastructure program for these vehicles. It got a hearing in the House Utilities Committee, but failed to get a vote after getting bogged down in questions about whether utilities should have a monopoly or face competition. 
LEED certification is the world's most widely used rating system for green buildings, and an HB 1342 would have required the State Office of Management and Budget to consider upgrading state buildings to these standards. Indiana has historically ranked low in this area. It didn't get a hearing. Indiana's forests have been a topic of much debate over the last several years, as some log cuts in state forests have left the public frustrated and concerned about wildlife habitat. State officials, environmentalists, and industry can't seem to decide how the state's land and its wildlife should be managed. Two bills proposed this year would have tried to address those topics. HB 1222 would have set aside areas within state property geared toward protecting old growth areas, and HB 1292 focused on preserving habitat for wildlife. Neither of those bills, however, got a hearing in the House Natural Resources Committee. Are you part of the Lower Salt Creek drainage? Radio station WBIW reports a new project will be focusing on assessing protecting, and improving water quality in the Lower Salt Creek area. A virtual session will engage individuals interested in the Lower Salt Creek drainage and develop a plan for it. The virtual program will be presented via Zoom on March 9th from 9 a.m. till noon. Those participating can share their thoughts, opinions, and concerns on Lower Salt Creek and its tributaries and learn more about the Lower Salt Creek project. A $96,000 grant will lay the foundation for future voluntary and on-the-ground conservation implementation efforts. Quote, The Lower Salt Creek project is structured to allow community input on what they want to see happen in terms of regional planning to improve water quality within the Lower Salt Creek drainage, end quote, said Sarah Peel, project coordinator. These efforts will include the initial project launch meeting as well as workshops, field days, cleanup events, educational opportunities, local tours, and more. Peel pointed out that more than 20 community agencies and organizations are supporting this effort. These groups include the City of Bedford, City of Bloomington Parks and Utilities, and many more. The project is currently in its initial stages of gathering data and information, developing the project steering committee, and coordinating gathering of public opinion. Inside Indiana Business announced that a North Carolina-based solar energy company is expanding its presence in Indiana. Power Home Solar says it will hire up to 100 employees and open a sales and installation office in northeast Indiana. The company specializes in solar power for residential and business use. Last summer, the company installed solar panels at the headquarters and practice facility for the Indianapolis Colts. Quote, Hunger for renewable energy has led us to opening a second office to accommodate for our growing customer base, end quote, said Power Home Solar Chief Executive Officer Jason Waller. Once operational, the company will operate its sales office in Fort Wayne, but the warehouse for installations will be in Decatur. 
wind turbines are providing significant power to Indiana, yet there are no turbines offshore in Lake Michigan. The only offshore wind farm in the U.S. is located near Long Island. Would it be good to expand this concept? The advantage of locating wind turbines offshore is that the wind is much stronger off the coasts. And unlike wind over land, offshore breezes can be strong in the afternoon, matching the time when people are using the most electricity. Offshore turbines can also be located close to the load centers along the coasts, such as large cities, eliminating the need for new long-distance transmission lines. However, there are several disadvantages to offshore installations related to more expensive installation, difficulty of access, and harsher conditions for the units. Locating wind turbines offshore in ocean locations exposes the units to high humidity, salt water, and salt water spray, which negatively affect service life, cause corrosion and oxidation, increase maintenance and repair costs, and in general make every aspect of installation and operation more difficult. Wind turbines in Lake Michigan would require measures to prevent ice damage in the winter. Any location for wind turbines must evaluate the potential for bird deaths. The coastal waterways are bird migration routes. The units need to be constructed so that there are no perches, nesting, or roosting sites. White colors are problematical. Windmill vanes should be painted in high contrast patterns because white attracts insects and increased insect abundance attracts bats. Tests show that kestrels avoid moving wind turbine vanes more readily if they have patterns painted on them. Turbines located at least five miles offshore are usually out of the danger zones for killing pelicans and gulls. Offshore wind farms have been in operation in Europe for 30 years, but they do not qualify as a major source of power. There is wide opportunity in Indiana for land-based turbines, so it is concluded that offshore units do not appeal. The Center for Biological Diversity, an environmental advocacy organization, has sued the administration of California Governor Gavin Newsom for approving thousands of oil and gas drilling and fracking operations without the environmental review that state law requires. The lawsuit alleges that the California Geologic Energy Management Division failed to sufficiently analyze environmental and health risks as required by law before issuing nearly 2,000 new oil and gas extraction permits. The center commented that although Governor Newsom's rhetoric on climate change is progressive, he's failed to act on it. For example, he hasn't moved to ban fracking, even though he stated that he supports such a ban. Newsom's hypocrisy was evident when he called on the California state legislature to stop approving new fracking permits by 2024, instead of immediately, as climate advocates argued for. Deborah Sivas, director of the Environmental Law Clinic at Stanford Law School and an attorney for the Center for Biological Diversity in the lawsuit, said, quote, State laws are designed to protect communities and minimize pollution. 
The state can't continue to pretend these fundamental protections don't apply to one of the most polluting and dangerous industries on the planet, end quote. Appalachia's fracking boom has turned out to be a bust for local communities. A new study published by the Ohio River Valley Institute, a nonprofit think tank, showed that about 90% of the wealth created from shale gas extraction leaves local communities, whereas economic output in Appalachian fracking counties increased by 60% from 2008 to 19. The county's share of the nation's personal income, jobs, and population levels decreased. The study examined three states, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. Fracking advocates had claimed that the gas industry would bring prosperity to these states, but gas drilling has done the opposite in most of the top drilling counties. Meanwhile, Communities are finding that nearby fracking harms them. As of late August, 2015 studies documenting harm or potential harm from fracking have been published. The health impacts vary from headaches, nosebleeds, and asthma exacerbation to anxiety, depression, and an increased risk of birth defects and premature births. Oil and gas financial reports and disclosures have increasingly documented local community opposition to fracking. Lawsuits from community groups have challenged every step in the permitting process. In a remarkable first, scientists have cloned a U.S. endangered species. The clone in question is a black-footed ferret named Elizabeth Ann, and her lineage could bring much-needed genetic diversity to the imperiled species. It was a commitment to seeing the species survive that has led to the successful birth of Elizabeth Ann. Ryan Phelan, the executive director of biotechnology conservation nonprofit Revive and Restore, said in a Fish and Wildlife Service press release, To see her now thriving ushers in a new era for her species and for conservation-dependent species everywhere. She is a win for biodiversity and for genetic rescue. The history of the black-footed ferret makes her birth an especially important milestone. The species once lived throughout the U.S. West, but their numbers dwindled as their primary prey, prairie dogs, also declined due to habitat loss, poison, and disease. At one point, scientists believed the black-footed ferret to be extinct. That's where Elizabeth Ann fits in. She is a clone of one of the last wild-caught black-footed ferrets whose genes were never passed on. However, they were preserved by the San Diego Zoo Global's Frozen Zoo in 1988, making Elizabeth Ann's birth possible. Scientists determined that her genome had tripled the unique variations of the current ferret population, meaning that Elizabeth Ann's descendants could play a role in boosting the species' genetic health. The Postal Service is updating its massive fleet of mail-carrying vehicles, heralding a significant step toward reducing carbon pollution from its massive fleet, while also helping to protect its workforce from climate impacts. The next-generation delivery vehicle, made by Oshkosh Defense of Wisconsin, will start delivering mail in 2023, the UPS announced Tuesday. 
The fleet will include high-efficiency gasoline-powered vehicles as well as electric vehicles. The gasoline-powered vehicles will have the ability to be retrofitted with new electric systems in the future. The units will feature air conditioning as well as airbags and collision avoidance systems. The majority of the current Grumman Long Life vehicles in use now are between 25 and 32 years old and get 10 miles per gallon. The use of eminent domain for a large wind energy power line cutting through Missouri would be banned under a bill passed by the State House last week. The GOP-led House voted 123-33 to Tuesday in favor of the bill, which would prevent the use of property owners' land for the Grain Belt Express power line without their permission. The high-voltage power line would carry wind energy from Kansas across Missouri and Illinois before hooking into a power grid in Indiana that serves eastern states. The aim of the Missouri bill is to stop the project's developers in Venergy transmission from pursuing condemnation if landowners won't sell easements, which means allowing a piece of their land to be used for the power line. Grain Belt developers decried the legislation as short-sighted and said the power line will lower energy costs for Missourians. Quote, now more than ever, Missouri's economy needs this billion-dollar project to proceed, and families and businesses need the reliability and utility savings Grain Belt Express will deliver, end quote. Invenergy spokeswoman Beth Conley said in a statement. The measure now heads to the Republican-led state Senate for consideration. Completion of the Grain Belt Express is seen as a vital part of strengthening the eastern grid so that if a portion of the grid were shut down by a storm, more power could be brought in from Kansas. General Motors plans to become carbon neutral by 2040 and to drop gas and diesel engines in all new light-duty vehicles by 2035. Their decision reflects the newly Democratic-controlled administration pivoting to an aggressive climate agenda. The automaker's leadership was emboldened by changes in Washington, where President Joe Biden is touting a similar pledge, net zero emissions nationwide by 2050, as he promised significant help to the businesses and consumers to advance the technology needed to get there. Achieving the automaker's goal will span several administrations, Dane Parker, GM's sustainability officer, said. For now, the company leaders have been talking to the Biden administration and are encouraged by its commitment to advancing emission-free vehicles. Parker said the enthusiasm of the Biden administration for electric vehicles and for an all-electric future has been something that has created with them a greater sense of optimism for where they're going and the support to get there. It marks a, quote, giant step, unquote, in the changing auto industry in Detroit and globally, said Barry Rabe, a political science professor at the University of Michigan. Quote, is this the beginning of a larger transition that could actually accelerate the whole policy shift toward electric vehicles? End quote. 
For the third time in three years, the EPA has ordered Amazon to stop selling illegal pesticides. The EPA's Seattle office announced Tuesday that it had presented the online retailer with a stop-sale order targeting products that were unregistered and potentially dangerous or ineffective. Some of them made false or misleading claims that they offered protection against viruses. Quote, Unregistered pesticides in the e-commerce marketplace pose a significant and immediate health risk to consumers, children, pets, and others exposed to the products, end quote. Ed Kowalski, director of the Enforcement Compliance Assurance Division in EPA's Region 10 office in Seattle, said in the announcement. The EPA sent the latest order to Amazon on January 7th, the Seattle Times reported. The order added 70 products to a June 2020 stop-sale order that targeted more than 30 products. The new products include items marketed to clean homes and pools, bracelets claiming to repel mosquitoes, and several products promising to kill viruses, the Seattle Times reported. The climate crisis could push an important ocean current past its critical tipping point sooner than expected, new research suggests. The Atlantic Meridional Overturning Circulation helps move heat from the tropics to the northern hemisphere and is one of the reasons why Europe has relatively mild winters. However, the current has begun slowing down in recent years, and scientists want to know what it would take for the current to stop. A study published in Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences calculates that this moment could come sooner than expected. The circulation is threatened by increasing freshwater flowing into the North Atlantic as the Greenland ice sheet melts. Ultimately, freshwater could cause the current to stop. This has serious implications for the climate. If the current were to completely halt, current models suggests tropical monsoon patterns would shift, rainfall in the northern hemisphere would decrease, and the North Atlantic would get stormier. Canadian Gilbert Carden worries about the future of the ice road he maintains every winter on a frozen river west of Montreal. But he says that at some point, it will no longer be able to open if the mild winters continue. Since February 14th, the thousand-yard-long path, cleared of snow and marked with fir trees, has allowed motorists to travel between two villages on opposite sides of the Ottawa River without having to drive 25 miles round trip to the nearest bridge. Such ice roads, or, quote, winter crossings, end quote, as they're called by Quebec locals, were once commonplace in those areas. In the 1800s, one even carried the weight of locomotives on a temporary rail line across the St. Lawrence River between the island of Montreal and South Shore communities on the mainland. In southern parts of Canada, seasonal ice roads are now increasingly scarce due to wide swings in winter temperatures, from deep freeze to balmy, that make it harder to maintain them. Only a few dozen of these vestiges of winters of yesteryear remain today in all of Canada and just a handful in Quebec. Taking an unconventional approach to conduct the largest ever poll on climate change, the United Nations Development Program and the University of Oxford 
surveyed 1.2 million people across 50 countries from October to December 2020 through ads distributed in mobile gaming apps. The survey found that 64% of people think climate change is a global emergency, and only 10% think world leaders are doing enough to address it. The number of people who considered climate change an emergency was even higher, 69%, among those ages 14 to 18. The survey also asked respondents to rank 18 specific policies to address climate change and found that the most popular policies were restoring forests, using renewable energy, and using climate-friendly farming techniques. For EcoReport, I'm Sarah Callanan. And I'm Patrick Callanan. And now for our events calendar. The Indiana Audubon Society is offering a virtual birding trip to Rancho Naturalista Live in Costa Rica on Friday, March 5th from 8 to 9 a.m. This is a wonderful live adventure for viewing the many birds of Costa Rica. You will see the many types of hummingbirds, live feeding stations, and much more. You must pre-register for the Zoom invite link. To register, go to the IAS website. Spring Mill State Park is sponsoring a scavenger hunt with prizes on Saturday, March 6th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. If you are interested in participating, stop at the main gate to receive a self-guided scavenger hunt instruction sheet slash map from the attendant. Once you complete the hunt, stop by the main office for a small prize. This event is one day only. This upcoming event involves a drive to Shade State Park on Friday, March 12th for a woodcock watch from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. Watch the male woodcocks as they take off on their mating flights to impress the female woodcocks. Timber doodling is what this springtime display is called. Meet at the Pine Shelter to learn all about woodcocks. You can even have dinner on your way to Shade State Park. Spring Mill State Park is having an invasive plant ID hike on Saturday, March 13th from 1 to 1.30 p.m. Meet at the amphitheater at the Lakeview Activity Center for this moderate hike and learn about invasive plants and how they threaten the health of our native natural resources. The new Monroe County Public Library Winter Hiking Club is planning their next Zoom meeting on Sunday, March 14th from 2 to 3 p.m. The club offers people the experience of hiking area trails by sharing photos, sketches, and recordings they took while outside walking the woods and fields in winter. The March 14th hike will be about the Bean Blossom Nature Preserve. If you are interested in participating after hiking the trail, you can register at mcpl.info. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 
and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. David Lyman wrote the script, and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Daly compiled the events. Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report. A volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB. In Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source. For South Central Indiana. Bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.